Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. True North True Crime is now available on Patreon. Now you can listen to exclusive bonus episodes, early release episodes, and ad-free episodes by signing up at patreon.com slash tntcpod. This podcast contains graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the territories of the Coast Salish people. We have done a lot. The mother of this child has done so many things that a mother should never have to do. And she has done it all. And yeah, it's 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 a lot. We've done a lot. Well, he definitely didn't deserve this. I mean, not very many people do, but he was just a 20-year-old kid, just like just starting his life. So, I mean, if it was a hit and run, like I said, then they did the wrong thing and they should have spoke up at the time and accidents happen and potentially he could have been saved. And if, if he did go just missing, then that's a whole other story we'll have to look into. But personally, I don't think he did. Um, yeah, he just was a, a a normal kid that didn't deserve to, to go missing or anything to happen to him like this. Somebody knows what's really been our message the whole time. Someone knows something and it's well past time to speak up on it. New Year's Eve is a time of celebration, a time to say goodbye to the past and look forward to the future. We gather in groups, big and small, to raise a glass to what was and to wish one another well on what could be. On the evening of December 31st, a 20-year-old man left his grandmother's home with a simple message. Happy New Year, Grandma, he said as he walked out the door to meet friends. She smiled and said, oh yeah, what's so good about it? To which he responded, it's a new year. The two parted ways and the young man walked out into the night. She has not seen her grandson since. In this episode, we report on the disappearance of Zach Lefebvre. And you are listening to True North True Crime. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us. 
We'd like to start off this episode by thanking some people who bought coffee for this week's episode. So thank you to Eloise, Kimberly Ann, Carla, Laura, Lisa R, Auntie Cat, Melissa, Diana, and Christy. We appreciate the coffee and your supportive messages. Thanks, everyone. We want to let you know that we will be starting to phase out our Buy Me a Coffee donation option. We are very lucky that the podcast has been monetized through ads over the past year. We have also launched our Patreon subscription for those of you who are looking for bonus content of True North True Crime. As a result of these two things, we feel that it's the best course of action to slowly phase out Buy Me a Coffee. The link will still be live, as we know some of you like this mode of sending appreciation to the podcast. However, we won't be promoting it anymore. Having said that, we want to thank everyone who donated over the past two years. Your coffee donations helped us to buy equipment, soundproofing, and editing software. Without your donations, we would not have been able to sustain the podcast. So we want to thank you also very, very much for helping us to build True North True Crime. We are excited about some very important episodes as well as bonus content coming in the future. Okay, let's get into tonight's episode. Tonight we are talking about the disappearance of Zach Lefebvre. Zach is a 20-year-old man from Nova Scotia who has been missing since New Year's Eve in 2020. Zach was last seen in the area of Newell Road and Highway 334 in the community of Plymouth, Nova Scotia. At the time of his disappearance, Zach is described as a 20-year-old man, 5 foot 9, 175 pounds. He has brown hair, blue eyes, and brown facial hair. He was last seen after midnight on January 1st, 2021, walking near Newell Road and Highway 334, wearing a plaid shirt and boxer shorts. Zach's disappearance is considered suspicious. If you have any information about Zach's disappearance, you're asked to contact Yarmouth RCMP at 902-742-9106. Should people wish to remain anonymous, they can call Nova Scotia Crime Stoppers toll-free at 1-800-222-TIPS. We assembled this episode using publicly available news articles as well as resources from the Bring Zach Lefave Home Facebook group. We also spoke with Kim, who is Zach's cousin and the family's spokesperson. So this disappearance takes place in the province of Nova Scotia. Zach is actually a resident of Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. Yarmouth is a town of about 6,000 people located in the southwestern tip of Nova Scotia. Yarmouth is situated on the traditional territory of the Mi'kmaq people. After becoming a European settlement, Yarmouth thrived economically due to shipbuilding and fishing. Today, fishing and tourism are large economic factors in the town. It boasts the largest fishing fleet in Atlantic Canada. It also is the ferry port for those looking to travel from Nova Scotia to Bar Harbor, Maine. By all accounts, Yarmouth is a beautiful place to live and work and raise a family. But in recent years, residents in Yarmouth have noticed some changes. Much of these changes are the visible symptoms of substance misuse. Here is Kim, Zach's cousin, talking about some of the recent changes in Yarmouth. Oh, it's it's wild. It's from just like even the last five years, this town has just flipped straight upside down with drugs. It's 
all of it, all of it's here. I mean, it was only a matter of time before it got here, but it's definitely here, all of it. Meth, crack, you name it, it's here. They're doing it. There's been numerous overdoses and just, yeah, it's terrible. So even though the town of Yarmouth had been going through some changes, 20-year-old Zach Lefebvre was by no means a person who was into any of that. By all accounts, Zach was a simple guy who loved his friends, family, and spending time at home. Zach was originally from New Brunswick, where he was raised with his mom Lorna and his dad Mike. He was born on January 3rd, 2001. Mike and Lorna didn't stay together, and eventually Lorna moved back to Yarmouth, where she was originally from. Zach has a brother and a sister. He has a close relationship with his stepdad Darren and his grandmother Helen. As a kid, Kimberly remembers Zach as kind and good with other kids. Um, he was a great kid. He was super active. He played all kinds of sports, uh, especially baseball. Um, in his teenage years, it was all baseball, four-wheeling, um, just a good kid. I remember when I had my daughter, he would have been, man, not much older than 10, maybe 11. She's 12. So um, I remember him coming, I think, to visit and he would feed her and and he just he was great with kids and really active, loved to play sports, just an average normal kid. In December of 2020, Zach was 20 years old. He was living with his grandmother, Helen, and working full time in the meat department of a red and white grocery store. He had a small group of friends, primarily made through his job. Although he loved outdoor stuff like four-wheeling, he was also a bit of a homebody and enjoyed his video games. It should be mentioned that although Zach was an avid four-wheeler with his own four-wheeler, he did not have a car or a driver's license. From what I gather from his friends and, and my aunt and stuff, basically he'd go to work. Uh, he worked pretty much full time. So he was mostly at work. And when he wasn't at work, he was either out with his friends on the four wheelers or just playing video games at his mom's in the basement. Or that's where he hung out. They have like they had a little pad in the basement and, or at his grandmother's where he lived. Friends would always be over. He pretty much just stayed home most of the time after work. He wasn't really too crazy. Nothing, nothing too wild. So by all accounts, Zach does not have a criminal record and was not involved in any nefarious activity. All of his former employers speak highly of him. He made regular payments on his four-wheeler, and he was a good roommate to his grandmother. Everyone who knows him has been baffled by his disappearance. On the evening of December 31st, 2020, people across the world were looking forward to saying goodbye to 2020 a year that was filled with upheaval, a pandemic, and socioeconomic issues. Very few people were not personally impacted by the year that was. Zach and his group of friends had plans to celebrate that night. But before that, Zach spent the day four-wheeling with a friend in the backwoods. He got home to hang out with his grandmother around 4 p.m. before going out on the town. It's just the, the normal same thing. The night that he left, he uh, said to Helen, Happy New Year. And she asked him what was so happy about it. And he said something like, it's a new year. And, and that was it. And off he went and everything was normal. No family fights, no big uproars with friends that we know about or they know about. So just normal. He was, yeah, he was supposed to be to work on New Year's Day at 10 o'clock. And that's when they realized that, whoa, something is not right because he never not shows up or calls. He, no matter what state the boy was in, he'd always show up home and he'd always show up to work. So that's when they knew. Zach gathered with friends at the Boston Pizza in Yarmouth. 
We believe that this Boston pizza is on Stars Road. After some time at the Boston Pizza, the group of friends made their way to the Rod Grand Hotel located on Grand Street near the harbor. One of Zach's friends had rented a room at the hotel for pre-gaming. For anyone who doesn't know what pre-gaming is, it's drinking before you're actually going out to drink some more. From what we've gathered, the group of friends were taking taxis to their destinations that night. No one was drinking and driving. Another one of Zach's friends had heard of a house party in the nearby town of Plymouth, so the group made their way by taxi. This was around 10 p.m. The party was roughly a 15-minute cab ride. According to Google Maps, it would be close to a two-hour walk from Yarmouth to Plymouth. So this house party was in an even smaller town known as Plymouth. Zach's friend group was not super familiar with the folks there, and from what we gather, it was a younger party perhaps with a mix of high school-age people, people who just graduated from high school, and younger adults. Details get a little bit cloudy at this point. We know that Zach was seen at the party at 11.25 p.m. He had been drinking quite a bit, and he seemed in good spirits. Close to midnight at roughly 11.45 p.m., Zach decided to step outside of the house party. A young partygoer remembers holding the door open for Zach as he stepped outside. The witness does not remember anything odd. It just looked like Zach was either leaving or stepping out for some air. Uh, Yeah, apparently this kid held the door open for him. Uh, He said he was quite intoxicated. And uh, then, yeah, he just left with with pants on. So we, we know he left the party with his pants on. And then between the time he left the party and the 12.07 being his last phone call, that's when all those phone calls were made. So as Kim just mentioned, Zach left the party and he made a series of phone calls. These phone calls were short and included calls to his friends. He also may have sent some Snapchat messages as well as a voice call through Facebook Messenger. But the specific details of these communications have not been fully revealed. The phone calls took place between 11.52 p.m., and 12.07 a.m., so a 15-minute window of time. Shortly after midnight, Zach is seen by an eyewitness with her child. This witness believes that Zach was wearing pants at the time. So this is shortly after midnight. Zach has pants on. And Zach is seen walking down Newell Road. Then just after 12.15, a driver and his wife witness Zach walking along Highway 334 towards Yarmouth. At this time, Zach is wearing a plaid shirt and only his boxer shorts. Zach was not wearing pants. This driver then dropped his wife off at home, and she suggested that he go back and check on the pantsless man that they had seen walking down the highway to make sure that he was okay. Around this time, another witness saw Zach around 1225 walking down in the area of Newell Road and Highway 334. Around 12.45, the driver returned to that area where he had seen Zach. But Zach wasn't there anymore. In fact, there are no more sightings of Zach after 12.25. So it is believed that whatever happened to Zach on Newell Road or Highway 334 happened between 12.25 a.m. and 12.45 a.m. on New Year's Day. The next morning, New Year's Day, Zach was scheduled to work at 10 a.m. 
As mentioned before, Zach was not a person who missed work no matter what. That morning, he did not show up for work. Naturally, this caused concern among his family and friends. Zach Lefebvre was missing. We're now going to take a quick break. Thanks for supporting the podcast by listening to our sponsors. When we return, we will learn more about the phone calls and what possibly happened to Zach. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So as far as I know, um, they started out at Boston Pizza, some of them, and then they ended up at what they call the Rod Grand Hotel. So it's just a big hotel downtown. Um, and our, when I say downtown, it's like a, a one street kind of deal, five stoplights, not nothing huge. Um, four, four fours in this hotel. Um, so they started there and then they made it there till about 10, I do believe. And however, they have got the idea to go to this party in a community called Plymouth, which would be about 15 minutes outside of town. Uh, they got a cab there. Um, and then from there, they stayed to the party until Zach went missing. And his last phone call was 1207. And his last witness sighting, I do believe, was about quarter after 12, between quarter after 12 and 1230. And then, yeah, so they just went from the restaurant to the hotel to the party. So Kim just did a really great job of summarizing the timeline of events from New Year's Eve 2020 into 2021 when Zach went missing. We know that Zach made several phone calls before his phone went dead. There were also eyewitnesses who saw Zach walking down the road with no pants on. 
When the eyewitnesses returned to see if Zack needed assistance, Zack was no longer there. He has not been seen since. So we want to take some time to go through the phone calls, the witness accounts, and what we've learned so far. So first, let's get into the phone calls. Now, the family has only been able to uncover the content of these calls by asking the recipients to disclose what was said. They have been able to piece together three of those calls. Here's Kim detailing more of that. I know he tried to call, I know he called three or four of his friends. Um, They're, according to the phone records, they were only one minute phone calls. So I'm not entirely sure if any of those actually were answered. Um, I don't know what his friends told the police. I just know what was told to us by like other people kind of. So um, one friend had said that he was with somebody he didn't know. Um, And another friend said that he was on the road that she got her dog, which happens to be a road that's about 20 or 25 minutes away from where he actually was at the time. So we're not sure if he was maybe just really drunk and confused because like all the woods look the same around here. So maybe he was on a dirt road, which there is by the party, thinking that he was somewhere else. We're not really sure. We're not really sure if any of these people are telling the truth at this point. I'm not pointing fingers at them. I'm just saying we don't know. We don't know. So um, the last phone call was made to one of his friends who actually was sleeping at the time, and he just didn't answer the phone. And then I assume his phone either died or that's when something bad happened. We're not sure. Because there was somebody said something about a phone dying, but I'm not sure if it was Zach's phone dying or if it was his friend's phone dying. Okay, so in the first call at around 11.50 p.m., Zach believes that he is on Wilson Road, where his friend had gotten her dog. In this call, Zach states that he is cold, and the place where Zach believed he was was a 25-minute walk away from the party he was at. This would not be possible as he had just left that party minutes earlier. It is possible that Zach was mixing up two different remote dirt roads. He did not seem distressed in this call, and the call ended at 11.52 p.m. The next phone call is made at 11.54 p.m. Zach still believes he is near Wilson Road, where his friend got her dog. He states that he needs a ride and that it is cold out. This call ends at 11.58 p.m. The person receiving this call states that Zach was not in distress. At 12.02 a.m., Zach makes another phone call. He states that he is with people he does not know, and he makes a reference to the racial makeup of the group, and also makes a reference to a black SUV. The person who received the phone call could not confirm that Zach was with other people. At 12.07, Zach tries to phone another friend. This friend is sleeping, and they do not answer the phone. There is also another possible incoming phone call at around 12.20 from a friend at the party. Zach's friend is alleged to have stated that they had called him from the party to ask him to come back to the party as they were calling a cab and they wanted to go back home to Yarmouth. At this time, Zach is alleged to have stated that he was not wearing pants. We have not been able to confirm this call, but it has been referenced in other coverage of this case. So most true crime listeners are familiar with phone pings. Phone pings are often used to find a person when they go missing. There is only one cell tower in this area, and it serves a very large area of cell users. So phone pings off the cell tower have not been super helpful in figuring out Zach's exact location. 
So when we looked at the phone records, um, a lot of people were looking at the towers that it pinged off of. So um, where he was and the tower it pinged off of is quite a distance, but that tower still picks up where he was. So it says that it pinged in Belleville, which would have been really close to the road that she got her dog, but that tower still picks up Plymouth. So he, you know what I mean? He was in Plymouth, but people are seeing Belleville. So they think that he was in this area called Quinnon, but no, he still would have been in Plymouth because it covers a wide range of area. Now, it is common for all phones in the Plymouth area to ping off of the Belleville Tower. The last ping for Zach's phone was between 12.15 and 12.20 a.m. So the phone pings aren't helpful, but what has been helpful are the multiple eyewitness accounts who place Zach in the area of Newell Road and Highway 334. At around 12 a.m., Zach is seen by the first witness with her son. At this point, she believes that Zach has his pants on. Unlike what Zach stated on the phone, he is nowhere near Wilson Road where his friend got her dog. The second and third witnesses were driving their cars when they saw Zach pantsless on the highway. They were concerned, so the driver circled back to check on Zach after he dropped his wife off at home. One one was a husband driving his wife home from a party and then he was going back to go fishing that night because a lot of people were going out because it was a nice break in the weather. And she said to him, I was told that she said, when when you go back by, check on him, make sure he's okay or needs a ride or something. And then when he went back, he, he wasn't there. So it was a very short amount of time where he was there and then he just wasn't there no more. That's why I believe something bad happened rather than him walking into the woods or seeking shelter. A lot of people said he could have been seeking shelter in in the woods. He was hypothermic. Well, it was three degrees that night, no snow, no wind. And I understand he was wearing shorts or his boxers, but he was also intoxicated and walking around. And within a 15 minute period, he just disappeared. So I don't personally believe he was seeking shelter in a community full of houses. It's not a desolate area. There's house after house after house. He would have picked a house, you know what I mean? Or went back to the party or, you know, so that's why I believe something bad happened. There was also a second driver who witnessed Zach on the highway, and that driver also circled back and did not see Zach again when they went back. People close to Zach's case believe that whatever happened to Zach happened between 12.30 and 12.45 in the area of Newell Road and Highway 334. So we have a flurry of activity, including phone calls and witness sightings between 11.45-ish and 12.30. And then... We have nothing. As we mentioned, Zach did not show up for his 10 a.m. shift the next morning. This being highly unusual raised alarm bells for Zach's family. Zach was then reported as a missing person. The local RCMP struggled to take the case seriously at first. He was a 20-year-old man out for New Year's, so perhaps he was just sleeping it off somewhere. However, the family persisted, and official searches began to find Zach Lefebvre. Early in the searches, Zach's pants, wallet, belt, and baseball cap were found on the side of a road near the house where the party was. His phone has never been found. Um, His pants, his wallet, his belt, and his hat were found on a road just 
one lawn over basically from where the party was. Um, one thing you need to know about Zach is he was 20 years old and going bald. So the hat didn't leave his head for any reason whatsoever. Never seen the kid without a hat on, never took it off. So for him to willingly leave his hat is super strange to us for sure. Um, they found money in his wallet. So, you know, nobody tried to rob him. His wallet was intact, money, ID, credit card, you know, debit card, all that was there. Uh, the only thing that was missing was, or, yeah, his blundstones. So he was wearing size, I think, 11 blundstones with half skinny jeans. So think about being drunk, taking off your own pants. Your boots obviously have to come off first. They're not coming over those blundstones. So where we found the pants, there was no, there was no disturbance around it. Like, you know, you're going to fall. You're going to scuff your feet. You're not a, not a footprint, nothing around these pants. So, yeah. He left apparently with his blundstones, his shirt, and uh, his, yeah, that's it, bone, bone, blundstones, and shirt. They're still missing. So we asked him a little bit about the area where Zach's items were found, as well as how the police handled this scene. Um, it is along the way of where he was walking, yes, but it's like the, it's before all the witnesses. And then still before witnesses say they've seen him with pants. So we don't, it's just, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It was like a little dirt turn off road and you can drive on it for a while before it's not accessible by car anymore. And they were just like sitting right on the side. On, on, it, it's not quite a ditch, but a little dip. And they're just sitting there. And uh, when the police come and get them, just an example of how they messed up from the beginning, they didn't secure the scene. They didn't do anything. They literally picked them up barehanded and chucked them in the back of their cruiser and off they went. And then proceeded to let 500 people trample the area and walk around and whatever. So for some reason, Zach took his pants off, either over his bluntstones or after taking his bluntstones off and putting them back on, if this is indeed what happened. And as we stated, his phone was not found. His family have been able to gain entry into some of his social media accounts, and they've tried to locate his phone, but with no luck. Eventually, the official searches for Zach came to an end. After exhausting their resources, the RCMP and Search and Rescue packed up their efforts and moved on. But this did not stop the community effort. Hundreds of people have volunteered to walk and ride the trails and forests around Plymouth and Yarmouth. Several theories have been floated since Zach went missing. Originally, local RCMP figured Zach would sleep off his New Year's hangover and reappear. When this did not happen, they pivoted to the idea that he got lost in the woods, possibly hypothermic, and succumbed to the elements. The the cops really believed at the beginning, and probably some of them still do, that he just, like I said, got hypothermic and walked into the woods for shelter. And like I said, I don't, I don't see it. I we've been there. I've been walked around drunk. I and. If there's houses around, I'm not going to go try to crawl into the woods. You know what I mean? And, and it's not like just little walk-in woods clearings. It's like thick brush picker bushes. It's thick all around there. So for him to, with no pants on, to crawl into the woods, that's just stupid to me. That's stupid when multiple people have their lights on. It's only midnight. It's New Year's Eve. Bang on a door. I feel like he would have done that or went back to the party or, you know. So I don't know. 
uh, the cops definitely they that's the one thing they keep telling us is all everything is still possible but in in my mind that some, something shitty happened it wasn't it wasn't just him walking off anywhere so i don't i don't think so in this theory zach became hypothermic the temperature on new year's eve into new year's day was between minus 2 and 3 degrees celsius Hypothermia can occur at any temperature lower than the normal body temperature, but factors like body fat, age, alcohol consumption, and especially wetness can affect how long hypothermia takes to strike. If you fall into water, the situation becomes drastically more dangerous. Now this could explain why Zach took his pants off. 20 to 50% of hypothermia deaths are associated with paradoxical undressing. This typically occurs during moderate and severe hypothermia. As the person becomes disoriented, confused, and combative, they may begin discarding their clothing, which in turn increases the rate of heat loss. While this theory may seem plausible to some, it does not hold water with those close to Zach. The area he was in was very close to many houses. He was not far from the party. He could have found help if he needed it. There was also an incredibly short timeline for disorientation due to hypothermia to set in. Also, many people were out that night watching the fireworks in the same three-degree weather. There was no snow, and most people referred to the weather that night as mild. In this theory, Zach would have walked into the thick brush and forest without pants on, and sadly, he would have passed away in the forest. But these areas have been searched, and Zach has not been found. 11 months after Zach went missing, Zach's file was passed from the local RCMP to the Nova Scotia Major Crimes Unit. This was a positive move for Zach's family. Like I said, it took us 11 months to get actual investigators on the case. Up until then, we were dealing with the RCMP, which they <laughs> are laughable at best sometimes. Not all of them, but unfortunately, the ones that we had to deal with. Um, just saying ridiculous things like, I talked to this person and they cried, so I believe them. Like, what? I just, I, I was speechless. What do you even say to a cop that says that to you? Like, you... <laughs> Just that kind of stuff. So now we have the major crimes on the case. Um, they don't tell us much, of course, because it's an open investigation. Um, they're definitely a lot more uh, reachy outy. They they reach out to us. We do have a liaison officer that we can text day or night, anytime, and he always gets back to us right away. Um, so it is a lot better. We talked to them not that long ago. Um, they're not any further ahead in the investigation as they don't. They don't feel like they're close to closing the case or anything like that, but they have eliminated a lot of, of people that names that we have given them um, for the first year, pretty much. There was me and um, Zach's mom, Lorna, and another girl that we, that was a family friend and she's really good with computers and making things look nice and readable. So when we did get these crime investigators, we actually gave them three two-inch filled binders full of screenshots, names, arrows pointing to this person, like the whole thing. Everything that we've ever had given to us all handed nicely to them. Um, they went through the entire thing from start to finish. They went through the entirety of what the RCMP had given them. And um, 
So right now they're basically still just talking to people, eliminating some of those names, making sure they don't miss any connections. So that's where we're at now. As with any case, especially in small towns, rumors have gone around Yarmouth and Plymouth as to what happened to Zach. Claims of a drug debt have been spoken about, but this is refuted. Zach was not a frequent drug user aside from a little cannabis. He also had normal amounts of money in his accounts and he was paying off a four-wheeler and worked full-time at a grocery store. He didn't have excess money or issues associated with addiction. But the rumor that seems most plausible is that Zach was the victim of a hit-and-run or some other type of foul play. There were three reports to the police that night of a black SUV or truck driving erratically in the area where Zach disappeared. Keep in mind, in one of the phone calls that Zach made, it is alleged that he mentioned a black SUV. Zach's family have compiled three binders worth of screenshots, texts, and other messages that seem to point to one person. This person's name continues to come up in this case. There are various other parties who were there as well. The details change a little in each story, but the key players and actions remain the same. Like I said before, it's been the same, one same name since week two. Um, Multiple people messaged me about this person uh, straight away within the first two weeks. And then since then, it's just been a trickle of rumors and stories all slightly different, different details, different people with this person, but all like the exact same story basically underneath, you know what I mean? Like different places or different times of things. Um, there's not cooperation with the police on some of these people's parts. Uh, they, they, they're just not cooperating. So, I mean, what does that tell you right off? Kind of weird. If I was being accused of something, I'd probably want to cooperate to get my name cleared, but there's absolutely no cooperation. Whereas with some of the other people, we didn't expect there to be cooperation. They're fully cooperating. So yeah, there's there's definitely a, a divide between people fully cooperating with the police and not at all. If these rumors are true, then at some point in the evening between 1230 and 1245, Zach was hit by a black SUV near Newell Road and Highway 334. Making things even more suspicious, the person in question has since sold their black SUV. If Zach was a victim of a hit-and-run or foul play, then what will it take to get justice for Zach Lefebvre? Over the time since Zach was reported missing, his family and community have begun to work with another family in the same community going through similar trauma. In late September of 2020, 26-year-old Colton Cook was found murdered on a street in Yarmouth. His family, led by his mother Stacy Cook, have been fighting for justice for Colton. Together with Lorna Lefebvre, they have held combined marches and vigils. They have demanded justice for Colton and for Zach to be brought home. Three men have finally been arrested for Colton's murder, with one of them pleading guilty recently to being an accessory after the fact. There is currently a $30,000 reward for information leading to Zach's whereabouts. This money was crowdfunded by the community. But what speaks to Zach's good name was the donations made by his current and previous employers. As stated, Zach worked at a Dayton red and white grocery store. He had also worked at Huntley's Village Meat Market in the Annapolis Valley. Both of these employers thought so highly of Zach as an employee and a person that they contributed significantly 
to the cash reward. To this day, when you walk through Yarmouth, you will see Zach looking back at you from missing posters in stores, on lampposts, and on cars and trucks. This is a community that wants answers for Zach's family. We asked Kim how our listeners can help. Well, definitely if you're listening and you know something that we don't, please contact any one of us, any police officer in Yarmouth, any crime stoppers, any of it, anything, leave a note anything like that. We have our Bring Zach, home, uh, Bring Zach LaFave homepage on Facebook. You can join that. I think it's got well over 10,000 members in it now. Um, basically, just share things. Just keep his, his him out there because if people forget and, and we don't keep on it and keep on the cops, then they'll forget too. And that's what I was actually told by an RCMP member to not give up on them and keep pushing and keep pushing. And since we've had that conversation, that's all we've been doing. So yeah, just share stuff. And like I said, if you do know something, then please pass that info along. Whether you don't think it's something big, it could be, could be what we need. For Zach's friends, family, and community, bringing Zach home is a full-time job. Well, it's definitely not one day goes by that we're not doing something, whether it just be talking about him or talking to people we shouldn't be talking to, trying to get information or messaging police. There's not one day where we're not doing something out. We've been out to almost every trail in the backwoods. We've walked miles and miles in the woods, lakes, rivers, all of it. They're just, yeah, it's just unbelievable. And it's just It's just something you can't stop doing until you find your answers, basically. You can't stop. In a recent interview with Tim Como at saltwire.com, Zach's mom, Lorna, spoke about those who may be responsible for her son's disappearance, as well as her gratitude towards the community. The article reads as follows. Someone's poor decision has really ruined a lot of lives. It makes you wonder what kind of people do that. They must be pure evil, and that's around our community. We don't know who we're walking with every day. To do whatever was done, we can only guess. To take someone's life, that's cruel. But despite the cruelty of the situation, there has also been much kindness. Zach's mother, Lorna, and his stepdad, Darren Fitzgerald, say the community has been very supportive. People message. People are very kind and considerate and caring. People stop me in the grocery store that I don't even know. I had this one lady in the superstore. I was walking around and I was thinking, is she following me? She came up to me and said, you don't know who I am. But she hugged me and said a lot of nice things. So on a night out with friends, a night of celebration, Zach walked out into the night and was never seen again. We asked you to join the Facebook group called Bring Zach LaFave Home. We will link that in our show notes. If you are in Nova Scotia, please share Zach's missing posters. If you are on Newell Road or Highway 334 between midnight and 1 a.m. on the morning of January 1st, 2021, please check your dash cams. If you live in the area, look at your home security systems. This is a solvable case, and the people responsible need to be brought to justice. Zach's family deserves answers. We would like to thank Kimberly and Zach's family for trusting us with this story. Jordan at the Nighttime Podcast has a three-part investigation with family member interviews on his podcast. We encourage you to check that out. As always, we'd like to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of True North True Crime. We hope you'll check out our Patreon feed where we offer ad-free, 
early releases, and bonus content. Our producers on the podcast are Eloise, Yannicka, Sherry, Alexa, Erz, Donna, Dennis, Cheryl, Shelly, Kathleen, Mandy, Alicia, LA, Vicky, Barbara, Colleen, Blair, Melanie, Alberta, Carolyn, Barbara, Shandy, Kelly, Jimmy, Jessa, Lisa Marie, Thomas, Maureen, Lorena, Colleen, Susan, Kennedy, and Alex and Andrea. We will be back soon with a new episode, so until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.